Let's take your Bibles. If you did not bring your Bible, there should be one right in front of you. I want you to stand up with me right now, if you would, please. Let's go ahead and stand up, and I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to lift it up. This is our authority. This is life. This is the living Word of God. As we study it, God reveals who He is to us. He reveals His will to us. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, as you are still standing, why am I seeing people not standing? Come on, stand up, let's be respectful to God's word. If you're physically able, you should be standing up, and you should have a Bible in front of you. So let's uh, get that Bible, and uh, I would encourage maybe Pastor Kyle, if there's people that don't have a Bible in front of them, help them find it, because 1 Corinthians can be kind of tricky. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read just a few verses, and I'm going to invite you to listen and follow along with me as we sit under the mighty, powerful Word of God. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You may have a seat. And we are going to open up that passage. We're going to see what the Lord might have to say to each one of us. Let me invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray and ask Jesus through the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to this. Father, I thank you that the Spirit of God is here, that your Spirit is among your faithful. Lord, where two or more are gathered, there you are in our midst, and you are helping us understand. You are opening the Word of God to us, Lord. And if we find that we cannot understand the Word of God, we appeal, Father, to you, that your Spirit may open our eyes and open our understanding. And Father, I pray that we would sit under your Word gladly, joyfully, with great expectation, for you are about to speak And we are about to listen. May your word be living and active as it is in our very soul. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series called The Crowned. And well, maybe I should start by taking you back 21 years ago. ABC News, it reported at that time, this is now 2002, that there were 564 awards shows every single year in America, 564. Now think about that. There are the Grammys, there are the Emmys, there are the Golden Globes, there are the Tonys. By the way, we have people here that have won uh, some of those awards. And they, these awards, they are sought after by singers and actors and received with tears and fanfare. Winners at the Academy Award receive an Oscar statue, which, by the way, I learned has a value of one dollar. You can look that up 
for yourself and find that to be true. But there is an award ceremony infinitely greater than any of those that I mentioned. And the, the awards from this award ceremony will not be worthless statues and temporary fame. It will be an award of unfading crowns. And every person who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ called the, the Bema seat. And our eternal destination, I hope you listen, everybody listen, our eternal destination will be a consequence of what we believed while on earth, but our eternal compensation will be a consequence of how we lived on earth. I'm going to say that again. You see that on the screen? Some of us need to hear this. Some of us need to have our eyes wide open to this. Our eternal destination, where you will be for eternity, heaven or hell, there's only two options. It will be a consequence of what you believed here on earth, but our eternal compensation will be a consequence of how you live here on earth. And whether you go to heaven or hell, it will be determined by whether or not you trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And for those who do trust, they will not stand before Jesus to give account of their sins. Did you hear that? Believer, you will not stand one day before Jesus, before that beam of seat, before the great white throne judgment to give account of your sins. He's not gonna replay your sins, for they have been forgiven by the blood of the Savior. You will stand, Christian, before Jesus and be rewarded for what you did from a motivation to please him. Now you might object. What do you mean rewards for are not Christians under grace and not under works? Rewards conjure, don't they, the picture of a mother holding out rewards for her child's good behavior. Mothers and fathers might say to their children at church, if you behave, if you're quiet, we will get you something to eat afterwards or you can have this candy afterwards. Yet all through the Bible, God gives the promise of rewards to his faithful servants. So here we go. Each week of this series, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tour of this through the landscape of the Bible. Here's David, King David. He concluded in Psalm 58, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Jesus promised in Revelation 22... Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, my reward with me, to repay each one for what he has done. Well, maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe this is something you've never really heard before. So let me ask you a question. Was Peter wrong? Was Peter wrong when he asked Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get doesn't that kind of hit cross grain on your soul? We've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. What will we get? And Jesus did not respond to him, Peter, don't worry about what you're going to get. Just be faithful. It's the right thing to do. Isn't that enough of a reason? He didn't say that. Here's what Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, 
In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, that would be us, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. See, all through the Bible, God keeps telling us he will reward his faithful servants. Now, everybody look up here. I'm going to take you to this verse you see in a moment. But I want you to look at me for a moment. Does that motivate you? It should. This is why there are so many scriptures on this. And what we're going to see all through this message and for the next four weeks after this one is that God keeps motivating us. Keep your eye on the prize. There is a reward coming. The book of Ruth says this, the Lord repays you, Yahweh repays you for what you have done and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's a reward And we are going to look at five unique rewards that the Bible calls crowns that Jesus will give to his faithful followers. And the first of those five was in the text that we just read, and it is called the imperishable crown. Let me read it again. Now look up on the screen if you would. I've underlined the word for you. This is where you want to key in. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See that word, wreath? Now everybody's going to do this. I want you to do this, whether you're watching it online, on a podcast, or here. You're going to say this word with me. I'm going to help you say a, a, a Greek word. I want you to say Stephanos. Stephanos, okay? That's the word wreath. Let me tell you what Stephanos is. It's not a kingly crown. It's not the crown you would see in your mind that settles down on the head of a king. It's a crown that was given to victorious athletes, courageous soldiers in warfare, or effective government leaders. And these crowns, the Stephanos, was woven from oak in ivy, in myrtle, in olive leaves or flowers. They were botanical. They were made out of plants. And like an Oscar statue, which was worth, I told you, $1, in itself, a Stephanos was of little value, for it was perishable. That's why he says that the athlete runs the race for a perishable wreath. A perishable crown. 
The leaves would dry out. The flowers would fade. The branches would turn brittle. It had fading glory. But Paul tells us there is a better crown. There is one that we should be seeking. It's the imperishable crown. It is unfading. Its glory will last forever. Well, let's get a little background on this. And then we're going to dig deep. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. That's the city's name, Corinth. And the city of Corinth would hold what are called the Isthmian Games. They were second only to the Olympics that the Greeks held. And they took place every two years. There were chariot races for the men. There were what were called the Pantration. Pantration were like Well, those contests were like the modern MMA, mixed martial arts. There was wrestling, there was boxing, there was music, there there was poetry. Women were allowed to compete in those. There was wrestling, there were a lot of other games. And the city of Corinth had gymnasiums. I want you to picture this. This is a massive city, very modern city. They had athletic fields. They had athletes who would train year-round all for a perishable crown, a wreath that would be placed on one victor's head. It was what motivated them, the pain of grueling, Training, the hope that they might receive that crown spurred them on. The victor, listen to this, the victor in any of these events would stand before a raised platform called the Bema. That's what it was called. And the official would come off of the Bema, walk down, take the crown, take the Stephanos, the wreath, and place it on the head of the champion. And everybody around would erupt in cheering and applause. Yet only one athlete per event receives the prize. Look at the text. Only one victor would gain the crown. In the race marked out for us, God's people, every one of us are capable of receiving this crown, but you will only receive this crown if your life begins to do what I'm about to teach you. And now we come to the most important part of the message. But I've got to lay some groundwork and I need you to truly listen. Now, I know there's people here that are probably on their phones right now I don't know if you are or not. I'm just assuming that maybe you are. Can I ask you to put that down? Just get back in the Bible, get back into this passage and really listen. Because what I'm about to tell you is utterly critical for you to understand. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. God freely saves sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when they turn to him in faith, when they believe, when they entrust. Well, what does that word mean? Can I give you an analogy? Can I give you maybe a picture to think in your mind? Even if you're not a parent, I think you can maybe imagine this. But imagine if you would, you're a parent and your child is so sick that the doctor says there's nothing else I could do for that person. 
But you hear of a remedy in another country that swears to be successful in the exact disease that your child is dying from. But it's going to require you to go overseas for a month or two and you go to your boss and your boss says, I can't give you that kind of time away. You leave, you're going to lose your job. You know what you're going to do? You're going to entrust your child to that care and you're going to lose your job willingly to save your little child. But you can't afford this treatment, so you're going to have to mortgage your home. In fact, you may even need to sell your home and be homeless. You're going to be willing, parents, with your heart for your child, if that's what it takes, you will reorient your entire life around getting to that promised remedy. See, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It means you're willing to sell everything. It means you're willing to abandon hope in everything and put it conclusively and exclusively in the person of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It means you reorient everything towards Jesus. It doesn't mean that you just bring Jesus onto the playing field of your life. He's important, but he's not centered. That's not belief. That's what the demons have, and yet they do not know Jesus redemptively. You see, grace is God's free gift of salvation to those who will entrust everything to him for their eternal life. That's faith. That's what it means to believe. And it's not earned. Salvation's a gift. And it's a gift from our gracious God to believing sinners, not people that clean up their act, not people that quit drinking, not people that quit doing drugs. And now God will save you. Are you kidding? God loves to save you when you're a mess, when we're a failure. Salvation is never deserved. It is never earned. It is always a gift from our gracious God to those who will believe. And it changes us from sinners to saints and and it gives us new hearts with new affections, new desires, new motivations, new attitudes that are pleasing to God. Now I want you to hear this. Salvation, though it is not by works, salvation will inevitably produce works. See, if you are to come to me and say, Pastor, I am saved, and your life is no different tomorrow than it was five years ago, and you do not love Jesus with an increasing affection, I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to be gentle, and I'm going to be truthful, and I'm going to tell you that's not what salvation looks like. See, grace changes us. The imperishable crown, the first of five that we're going to see, is given to those who exercise self-control in all things, verse 25. Did you see that word all? That's the Greek word, pass. And what do I always tell you? All means all, and that's all that all means. Those who are going to receive 
the imperishable crown, when your life is over and you come before the Bema seat, you, if you're going to receive this crown, then you will be like Paul, verse 27. You have learned to discipline your body and keep it under control. I want you to imagine forward. Will Jesus one day walk down from that Bema Walk down from that great white judgment throne with the imperishable crown in his hand. And I want you to imagine, will he walk up to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, and lay that crown on your head. You will have unfading glory for eternity. He will, if you learn to walk with him and bring your desires under his submission, under his control. If you discipline your body, if you rein in your appetites and serve God. You see, this crown is for those who overcome their sinful strongholds, who conquer addictions, who rein in their flesh. It is for those who learn to say no to the allure of this world's treasures and pleasures and yearn for those of the world to come. But how? How can we learn to have this self-control? How do you gain this self-denial? How do you accrue, how do you acquire this self-discipline? Now we're coming to the most critical part of the message. Look at the screen very, very closely. For we are told, Christian brother and sister, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. And he is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look what Peter says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Look what Paul says in Colossians, that we are struggling with all his energy, all God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. Are you starting to get how critical this is? You want to gain self-control? You want to learn and master self-denial? You need to know in Christ, Christian, you have everything you need to live in every way he commands. That is a truth. It's by his power that you and I can learn and we must learn to overcome sin, put our flesh to death and serve our faithful God. This crown, the imperishable crown is given to those who learn what Alistair Begg said. True freedom is not a license to do what we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. All right, now listen, it's really easy to hear these verses, really easy to hear the oft-quotable Alistair Begg, bring it back personally. If you're telling me right now that you are a believer, is this being evident in your life? If not, I'm gonna tell you, go back to the cross and put your faith in Jesus. 
Because if you're a Christian, I'm going to tell you exactly what's happening. Are you listening? Christian, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is working in you. So cooperate with him. Battle your flesh. Gain the freedom with the power that he supplies. Learn to obey him. Live a godly life and gain the imperishable crown. And how do you know you can gain it? Look at what what Galatians says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Look at the next one, self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If God has made you alive by His Spirit, then keep in step with His Spirit. It is the key to gaining a controlled Self-denial, disciplined life. Well, how do you do that? Don't you want to know that? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? If this is the voice of the Spirit, which it is, and this does not get opened but one day a week, you will have no power in your life. You will not overcome sin. Sin will overcome you. Until you take this seriously and read it with affection. Read it with confidence. Study it and bring it into your heart and meditate on it. Memorize it. Bring it in so that you can live it out by the Spirit of God. You will not overcome sin and you will not receive the imperishable crown. Is your heart learning to say with David in the most famous, one of the most famous verses in the psalm, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Do you long, brother and sister, for God? Is getting on your knees, just you and God, some of the best part of your day, when everything in you aligns, when it comes back into contentment? That's what it means to long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. And then the psalmist says, when, God, are we going to get together? When can I stand before you? Are you on God's training plan in Titus? For the grace of God, that's the Spirit of God, has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, training us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. This is God's agenda. He has set the Spirit of God loose in your hearts to dwell in your hearts so that as you walk with Him, loving his word, finding your your life's ambitions, coming together on your knees in prayer, then the spirit of God is beginning to train you and you are gaining self-denial and self-control and self-discipline. I got to tell you something. Paul wrote this in a climate of which Greek philosophy ruled the day. And Greeks tried to gain self-control. You know how they did it? They tried to do it by destroying all desire. The Stoics, these were, this was a particular philosophy of the Greeks. They taught that if you could master yourself 
and endure hardship and pain without feelings, without emotions, without anything arising from within you, then you could be perfectly free. Let me tell you about the two first leaders of the Stoics, the very two men who led the Stoics. Their names were Zeno and Cleanthes. They both committed suicide trying to destroy their desires. Some people even today struggling with sexual urges. They have their organs removed. They have their hands cut off. They have their eyes gouged out. Others struggling with their speech. They literally have their tongues cut out of their mouths. See, it's the best of the world to work from the outside in and it never goes deep enough. It cannot bring about the change. The Spirit of God brings the gospel to bear and the gospel always works from the inside out. You see, the gospel's way is for us to surrender to God in faith, walk so closely with him that he begins to do a change in us from the inside out and the power that he provides because every day we're we're showing up for battle. You're struggling with lust. Most men I know of are. And now women are creeping up on the statistics. You struggle with lust? Let me tell you the key. Walk with God and go to war. Beat your body into submission. Believer, are you tired of the guilt and the shame of sexual immorality? Then fight and gain victory. This is what Puritan John Owen said, let not that man thinks he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his lusts. You gotta tread on lust. You gotta walk on lust. You gotta stomp on lust. With the power that God gives, you go to war and you fight. You got a problem with your speech, with slander and gossip and over hypercritical tongue? Walk with God, tame your tongue. No more profanity, no more crude joking, no more gossip, no more slander. It's not fitting for those who are Christians. Believer, if you can see the destruction that your tongue causes, then discipline your body. Learn to be victorious. Appropriate the power of God. Walk with the Holy Spirit and fight. Are you greedy? You worry about money. Does it bring you anxiety? It's an idol in your life. You've got to vanquish your greed. How do you do it? You walk with God and you go to war. You stop pursuing this world's treasures. You don't pursue them. You pursue the next world's treasures. And the way you do it is you learn to be incredibly generous. If you want to kill the idol of greed and money and the love of money in your life, then learn to be generous. It will kill it. In fact, let me take you even more seriously into money. Believer, I want you to hear this because nobody's probably ever taught you this before. Or if they have, it's very seldomly taught. Are you giving from your excess and it really doesn't reduce your lifestyle? That's not biblical generosity. Do you not know 
the generosity, the way that God modeled it and the way that God calls for it will reduce your lifestyle. You will not be able to go on the vacations that you want. You won't be able to get the size of the home that you want. You won't be able to buy the kind of cars that you want or the clothes that you want because you are being reduced, but you're constantly being replenished. Why? So that you can be even more generous. If you want to kill the love of money, learn to be generous in a way that reduces your life. Are you overcoming your anger, your bitterness, your jealousy, your pride, your laziness? Are you battling against them in the power of the Spirit? Are you wielding the Word of God against them? Are you drawing close to God? Are you even not realizing that in a month you no longer struggle with what used to Hold you prisoner. You won't even know when God frees you. It will dawn on you sometimes months later, and all you're going to do is erupt in praise to God. You're going to sing hallelujah because God, without you even knowing it, freed your life. Why? Because you walked with him, you stayed in his word, you kept in step with his spirit, and you went to war. You battled. See, those who are going to receive the imperishable crown are going to be those who on earth learned to count everything as lost because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul said, I discipline my body, verse 27, and I keep it under control. This crown's going to be on his head. God is training us, Christian, to fight against the desires of our flesh. He's training us to battle. He's not going to fight it for you. I'm going to tell you right now, don't think that you can let go and let God. You can sit down and expect God to free you from your flesh's power. He's already done it by the cross. If you want increasing freedom, then you've got to fight. And you've got to walk with him by the power of his word in battle. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. See, training your hands for battle. Listen, willpower is not the issue in self-control. You're never going to defeat it. Your willpower is not going to be enough. Grace-empowered obedience is. So I want you to imagine with me That day when God, through Jesus, judges every nation. Bible says all nations are called to the throne, the great white throne of judgment, the Bema. And he's going to separate like a shepherd the the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on his right, the goats on his left. And you know what? He's going to speak to the sheep first. In all heaven, the earth and the sky, rather, have fled. You will have no tree to hide behind like Adam and Eve. You will have no fig leaves to cover up like Adam and Eve. There will be nothing but you when you are called forward to the great Bema. And Christian, when your name is called, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to be going through your heart. 
It will not be fear. It will not be anxiety. It will not be terror because there is no more judgment for you. Jesus is not going to replay your sins. He's not going to bring them back to your account. This is not where you are judged for your eternal destination. This is where you are rewarded for your eternal destination. This will be a time of joy. And yes, there will be some sorrow because you will see when his righteous judgment examines your life for the purpose of rewards that some of what we do and maybe a lot of what we do is going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble because you did it for you. You did it for your own purposes. You did not do it for God. Did not do it for his glory. But there will be things that you have done that withstand the fire of his judgment and they will be your rewards and they are beaming beacons of glory to God. And if you learn to overcome your body, if you learn to bring it under control, you learn to deny your flesh, he's going to walk down from that bema and he's going to have a crown in his hand. It's going to be called the imperishable wreath and he's going to walk up to you he's going to look you in the face and say well done he's going to place it on your head and that will never fade it will never grow brittle it will never dry up it will last for eternity because your savior honored you Well, can I close and ask two questions of you then? And would you treat these questions seriously? How eagerly do you desire to receive this crown? How eagerly do you desire to receive this crown? And very importantly, right now, what areas of your life, even as I've been preaching, is God revealing that you need to bring under his control, that you need a battle, you need to fight? I'll tell you how you enter the battle. First of all, you confess, you agree with him, then you repent. And the way you repent, Christian brother and sister, is to realize you did not just only break a command of God. You broke the heart of God. See, breaking a command of God just gets you to try to be better obeyers. But when you understand that our sin is breaking the heart of God, it reduces you back to spiritual poverty. That's humility. That's how you come back to being poor in spirit. And you come off your knees with a spirit-inflamed desire to go to war against your own flesh and to fight for the victory that he guarantees you can have. Let's pray. Father, I pray, as Paul said, that we would realize that we do not run aimlessly, but we fight in the strength that God, you yourself provide. We run to win an eternal prize. And Lord, the prize that we looked at today is a wreath called the imperishable crown. And it's given to those who 
have come to you in faith, reorienting and centering our lives on the hope that Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has forgiven our sins. And that he has not only saved us, but the Spirit of God has come to dwell in us. And you are teaching us to battle and to fight against our own fleshly desires and to bring our bodies under control. Lord, there may be some here that would have to say, I am not fighting. I am not battling. Right now, they will not receive this crown, but they can. They can. And they must. Father, I pray that if there is anybody here, and I suspect that there might be, has not even yet put their true faith in you, they will be separated over to the goats and there will be no more opportunity for them. But today is a day of salvation. Today is still an opportunity. Let them turn to you in faith and may you freely save them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.